Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Welcome to the Leaf Report versus the Support Athletique. Here's Arpan Basu and Marc-Antoine Goudin from the Support Athletique. And James Myrtle and Jonas Siegel from the Leaf Report. All right, boys, we are doing a combo podcast to preview this long-awaited Montreal-Toronto series. We got the boys, Marc-Antoine, we've got Arpin, we've got James... Let's let's start, Arpin. Let's start with you. Like your excitement for this this series on a scale of one to a hundred is what? Uh, well, for watching the games, it's really high, like ninety two. But like, I have to like, yeah. I have to like dampen like this 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 pang of angst and anger that it's happening in this environment that we're not doing this live in the same city right now that we're not going to have fans in the building. And, you know, Ben Sherratt after their, the Canadians final game on Wednesday, you know, says I can't help but get mad every time I think about it, that the buildings won't be empty because they would be so great. So it's, it's really kind of mixed, a mixed emotions. I've been waiting literally my entire career and a better part of my entire life for this series to happen. So in that sense, I'm excited to watch it play out, but in the other sense, it's it's hugely disappointing that it's happening under these circumstances. Yeah, for me too. I mean, the the it dampens the, the circumstances really dampen the mood. Uh, it's I mean, when when something hasn't happened for forty two years, you're or forty one or however long that is, forty two forty two forty two years. I mean, it's you would hope that you know something. Something special comes out of it, and that everybody's in, in in a situation in a in an environment where they can really enjoy what's happening. You know, for all the talk that's been said about about these two teams being such rivals over time, historic rivals. Well, there you go. You know, it's, there won't be fans in the buildings. Uh, you know, we won't even us as reporter not reporters not having access to. To, uh, to to the players and being able to really express the the, the level of uh, you know uh, hectic and frenetic and everything that, that just uh, the the hype around the series uh, as well as we would usually do it's it, it's a bit disappointing to me but hey uh, I mean I'm, I'm still curious to know how it's going to play out on the ice you guys just want to host all the Toronto media at all the bars in Montreal that's what you're gonna that's what you're gonna miss the most <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is this was a good opportunity to just, you know, to just drive it home how much better it is to go out in Montreal after a game than it is in Toronto. <laughs> well, that, I think that's that's around the arena. That's probably true. Toronto, Toronto's working yeah. on it, but most of our establishments close early here. Yeah, well, you know, the, at least if you win a round, you don't have to put on barricades. So, <laughs> well, we don't yes, know. That's... We don't know what winning a round looks like. <laughs> you're right. You're right. It's been so long. It's been so 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 long. Yeah, uh, guys, who's? Uh, I mean, the just judging by by the the elite performers on the leave side, judging by the way things have gone over the 
the regular season, you would easily establish the Maple Leafs as, as heavy favorites. But are they really? When, you know, when we hear about uh, playoffs or a new season, you can turn the page, start from scratch, all that stuff. Is it, does it apply in this case? And are the Leafs that big of, of favorites as we think they are? I think they're favorites. Yeah, I mean, I, we can debate how to what extent they are. Um, it They're the Leafs, and they haven't won a round since 2004. This iteration of the Leafs has been somewhat disappointing in, in the postseason for, you know, somewhat. several years. Well, I mean, like they, I mean, they've been... No, I mean, <laughs> it's an understatement, I think. Well, yeah, I'm not sure about that, James. <laughs> I, I would say... I mean, they... You know, the series against Boston, they, you know, they're a young team and a lot of people were picking the Bruins to win the series. So I, I don't, you know, losing in game seven to those Bruins teams, I don't rank as, you know, an enormous disappointment. Losing to Columbus last year. Yeah, it, that was pretty disappointing. But this is the first year really, though, where the Leafs are, there are expectations. You know, last year they were kind of a mess. There was the coaching change and they had to play in the play-in series. And this year... People, they're expected to win. They, they will be considered the favorites. And if they don't win this series, I would say the disappointment is going to be bigger than than we've seen in a long, long time here. This is what I find really intriguing about this series. It, and you know, I think it's I think it's fair to say the Leafs are heavy favorites. You know, they have somewhat you know a bit of a question in goal, maybe maybe on defense, but overall, it's pretty clear cut favorite situation. But what I find so intriguing is that both teams enter this series. With seemingly like heavy consequences if they lose, you know, Mark Bergevin is entering the last year of his contract. He's really pushed all his chips in the middle this year to, to try and make a competitive team. There's a definite sense that if the Canadians don't get to the second round, his his job's going to be in question at the very least. And then if the Leafs lose in the first round again, like, do you feel the same sense of consequence? Like, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think. I don't know if people start getting fired, but you got to start asking some questions, right? If they get if they get bounced in the first round again, it would it would require or it would mean a lot of soul searching for the organization about whether this can work. Um, but let's let's stick with the Montreal angle for a second because, like Arpin, you wrote about this, and I thought you had a really good preview of what it's going to take for Montreal to win this series. And you and you kind of pointed out that the Habs were built for the playoffs. Like they, they were built to kind of be in these types of series. So if it doesn't work, what's, what are the consequences? Like what, what does the organization do? Where do they go? I think they look really hard at changing the GM. I really do. I mean, it's, and you know, with Mark Bergevin, I mean, Mark Antoine, I'd like to hear you on this too, but my sense is that there is going to be an evaluation. Like there is after every season, but Mark Bergevin has been here for nine years. Um, I don't, wow. I don't look at his body of work as the entire nine years. I think it's really the last three years that this team has been built. And he's been pretty good over that period. He had some bad times before that. But, but you know, it's not hard to see what's going on here. Like, I mean, just the one tell is that, you know, Bergevin spent a lot of money when there's not a lot of money coming in. And hires Dominic Ducharme, says is his guy, except he's got an interim tag. He's going to be reevaluated at the end of the season. Hire Sean Burke to become the goalie coach. He was already a scout, had one year left on his, or this is the final year of his contract, did not get an extension. Like, it just seems like there's so many things that lead up to the end of this season where a lot of Mark Bergevin's decisions are limited or stopped there. So I honestly, I can't get a real good read on it, but I think the possibility definitely, a strong possibility definitely exists that if this doesn't work, that Mark Bergevin might be gone. I mean, it's, and it's, it might be mutual at that point, honestly, like it's, it's, this is not an easy job and I don't know to what extent Mark Bergevin even still wants to do it. Yeah. Do you agree, would you agree I, with I, that? Well, I agree with, yeah, I agree. When you mentioned the fact that, uh, you know, there's been a lot of expenses this year on the Canadian side, not enough money coming in. It's even only financially, this team has been, heavily invested into winning this season. The coaching change, you know, Claude Julien is going to be on the payroll next season for another five million bucks. Uh they wow. they spent they spent to the cap. Uh they 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 made all sorts of of changes that you know it, it adds up. Uh I know that you know Jeff Molson is has got a, a 
fairly wealthy business, but it's not that those are finite resources. Uh, but when it comes to Bergevin, I mean, you look at, at, at the fan base, there are really two camps, right? So you got the people who say, Marc Bergevin should stay there no matter what, because he's had such a great body of work. When you look at all the trades he's made, uh, he's won the vast majority of them. So he's made the team better. And if you take you, you, those moves in isolation, uh, he's done a great job. It's just that it did not add up. But if you're looking at it from a result-based uh, standpoint, which I, I suspect that Jeff Molson would do if the Canadians were to lose in the first round, uh, well, then you say, how come that all those moves did not add up to more? And the Canadians over all these years, uh, the nine years, but even the, the, the smaller a time frame that Arpin was re referring to, uh, it has not, it has not made the Canadians the sum of all its parts. So at some point, something something's got to give because you know w when you've put yourself in a situation where it's not all in because the Canadians did not sacrifice any prospects or any any high draft pick in order to get better, but still when they 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 shifted their planning a lot more towards the present, and if. And if that doesn't come to fruition and, and nothing comes out of it, well, is is the team going to be necessarily better next year or the year after? Whether you like it or not, for Weber and Price and some other guys, the, the clock is starting to tick. Well, it's funny that you guys mentioned that. I told James before the season that Montreal kind of reminded me of the 2013 Leafs in that they had built this team that they thought could win now kind of probably couldn't win like let me ask you guys Marc Antoine can Montreal win a Stanley Cup let's say they beat Toronto can they win a Stanley Cup like is this team good enough uh, you know what after you look at I suspect that Marc Bergevin looks at the Canadians this year and thinks and dreams of the St. Louis Blues the year they won the cup mm. and he, he's been he's been You know, so fascinated by the fact that at some point in the season they were last in his standings and they ended up winning the cup. And you look at the way he built his team, it's pretty similar to the way the St. Louis Blues were built. So, and I completely adhere to the concept that once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. So sure, they could go on a, on a great run, but I, I don't I don't see a team that's strong enough to have sustainable success. It it can happen. There can there's always you know, a way that can, a path that can open to for any team on it, under any circumstances. And the Canadians are not different. But it's not, I don't see a team in the making that, that's got the, the, the signs of a powerhouse, the way the Avalanche is, is suggesting to become, or, or the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah. Well, and James, like you remember um, around 2013, you were quite pointed in, in some of your criticisms of the Leafs. And I remember, uh, actually, Marc-Antoine, one of the things that like people with the team would tell you it was exactly that. Like, you never know what can happen in a playoff series. Mm -hmm. So, James, like, if you're the Leafs and you're looking at Montreal, what's the part about them that, that scares you the most? I think just that, you know, a lot of the games this year have been really close and that they're the kind of team that I think can make this a series where there's a lot of 2-1 games and... I don't think this is going to be easy, even even with the Leafs being the favorites, even if they play well. I don't think that they're going to run away with this series or a lot of the games. So I, I think the concern, if you're the Leafs, is you get into a series. Like, if I'm Montreal, I go back and I watch that series against Columbus last year, and I try and do the same thing. I try and have a bunch of one nothing, 2 nothing games. I try and just make it as boring as possible, bottle up Marner and Matthews as best I can. The Leafs' power play right now has been brutal for a long stretch. And just, you know, you're not going to be as afraid to take a penalty against the Leafs as you might have when they had a 32% conversion on the power play. Just make it more of a street fight. Make it really kind of like the kind of series that, that Boston played against the Leafs and, and hope that you get some fortunate bounces and you can win uh, the first game or go up 2-1 in the series after three and, and put, some, put the seed of doubt in the Leafs' mind. And that, that really has to be the game plan for Montreal. It's funny, though, because uh, Craig Custance had a, a great piece uh, in The Athletic, uh, you know, where he quoted uh, an executive, uh, a player, a scout, a coach on, on the different teams. And uh, th there was one, one of the people interviewed that said the, the, the thing with the Canadian division is that nobody plays defense. 
So I don't know if you are uh, if you agree with that, but when when James, you're talking about boring games, one nothing, two one games, we haven't seen much of that in the Canadian division this year. I think I mean the Leafs have been a, the best defensive version of this team that we've seen in I don't know what do you say like going back to Pat Quinn like going back almost 20 years mm-hmm. you know getting TJ Brody has been fantastic so the Leafs top four on D has been really really good um, is that the best version of a Leafs defense that has been bad for a long time maybe but you know at least against the the competition in the Canadian division and there's some very very good offensive players like the Leafs have played against Connor McDavid really really well this year so I don't know that I buy that. I mean, there was some, there was a bunch of stuff in, in that story. People, you know, there, there's a bunch of narratives about the Leafs that I don't know if I, I fully buy into. But the one that I do buy into is that this team hasn't done it before. You can you can impact their confidence if, if you can make them doubt themselves. And that has to be the game plan for Montreal. And, you know, m- maybe it is you, you attack where their weak points on defense in terms of Rasmus Sandin and Morgan Riley hasn't had a, had the greatest year defensively. Maybe you you try and make an impact there, but I, w- I would try and make it a low-scoring series if I'm Montreal. Where would you guys place the level of anxiety in the goaltending situation in Toronto right now? <laughs> well, James and I have interesting diverging opinions on this. <laughs> James is like James is all in on Jack Campbell, right, James? Who else are you going to play? I'm. I guess. There's no one else to play. Yeah, but what's the level of well, what's the level of anxiety in Jack Campbell? Is, like you talk about never having done it before. I yeah, mean, there's that. But but would you rather have a guy that hasn't done it before that has a nine twenty three save percentage and that's seventeen two and two or you know I mean like he's played really well and you know he played well last season and the year before that when with L A he had pretty good numbers and I mean the anxiety is you don't know what he's going to give you. But if you just look at the body of work of what he's done with the Leafs, it's been really good. I mean, he's been very, very solid. So, goal goaltending isn't it Bruce Arthur that likes to say goaltending is voodoo? I mean, there's lots of people that have, have said that, but it, it's it's true. And I don't think. I mean, what are we going to get? We don't even know. Do we know who's starting for Montreal? And what are we going to get from whoever is the starter? Carey Price will be starting for Montreal. I mean, he, he's, he's considered to be healthy enough to, uh, you know, to come back and, and be there at the start of the of the series. And I mean, his body of work in the playoffs speaks for itself. I mean, he, he I think that the fact that the Canadians have not gone further in the playoffs over time is largely due to their incapacity to to score goals more than him not being up to the task. I, I think the way to and I think the Carey Price angle is is an interesting way to look at Toronto. Carey Price gets the benefit of the doubt. Jack Campbell doesn't have the benefit of the doubt because he yeah. had, like like we're talking about. He hasn't done it. Like I can tell you guys, there was a three game stretch. I think it was last month where Jack Campbell like suddenly didn't play well, and 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 his confidence clearly had been rattled. And it was like a five alarm fire here. Like Sheldon Keefe, I mean, you guys know, like go- coaches don't call out goaltending very often, if ever. Sheldon Keefe like called out the goaltending, and said like this is a problem. And then Jack Campbell kind of righted himself and got on track. But, like, that's all it took was, like, three games where he didn't play well for it to be a crisis. Whereas in Montreal, it's like, well, Carey Price, he hasn't had a great year and, like, he's had his struggles. But he's Carey Price. And, like, look what he's done in the playoffs. And if Montreal can – that's part of the planning the seed of doubt. If they can rattle Jack Campbell early in the series, then it's problematic because Frederick Anderson's had a terrible season. He's barely played the last two months. David Riddich, when he's come in, has not been very good. There's there's not a lot of confidence. I mean, I, I like you know, like I said, I, Campbell's a no brainer for the Leafs to start just because of the success that he's had. But if if he struggles, boy, I, I mean, that's Jonas and I have been talking about this. That's probably the biggest question mark for Toronto in the series is is if if Jack Campbell can get it done or not. Because if he can't. I don't like their chances in this series, to be honest. But that applies to any goalie, though, right? I mean, any team. Well, some teams have two guys that you might believe in, right? Like, I mean, you know, if Carey Price falters, at least Montreal has a guy that there's some level of confidence in. Toronto doesn't really have. I was actually, I was really surprised. I was looking at Carey Price's playoff numbers over the last 10, 10 years, and he has the exact same playoff save percentage as Jake Allen. It's 924 over the last 10 years. So it's like, you know, different number of games played, and Jake didn't really play during the Blues Cup run. But still, you do have it was pretty it was pretty remarkable that they're at the same at the same level. But you know, when in terms of getting to Jack Campbell, you know, 
the Canadians, the one thing that, that the Maple Leafs can count on is the Canadians don't really have the type of guys who can get to a goalie in the sense of like, you know, shooting pucks past goalies. Like they don't really have great shooters. But Arpin, don't you think they have the types of guys who can piss off and oh, annoy a goalie? Like to me, 100%. like that's, if I was, if I was in Montreal, I, I would look to Brendan Gallagher and I would look to Josh Anderson. I would say, do everything you can to rattle this guy. They have, all they have the take. best of all time. Like Corey Perry yeah. is the best player of yes. all time in doing this. They have him, and he's been good at that. Even even in the game, man, there it was a nothing game against the Oilers uh, to finish the season. You know, the Oilers for some reason dressed their their A lineup. I guess they're trying to like improve. I don't know what they were trying to do, but the Canadians dressed half their team. One of those guys was Corey Perry, coasted through the whole game except for when it came time to play against Darnell Nurse, and like just couldn't help himself. Like just, just like he had to start something with him, even though the the playoffs were around the corner. There'd be no reason. Like you just the guy, it's just ingrained in that guy, especially in the playoffs. Like it's it's going to be there are a handful of guys on this team uh, that that's going to be that's going to be an issue. You know, Lekkonen's another one. They have like they have four or five guys that can really get to the net front and really make life hard on a defense group and particularly on a goaltender. So yeah, I mean it's that is the one thing. But what what shatters a goalie's confidence more? A guy standing in his crease or Austin Matthews zinging wrist shots, huh. you know, under well, the bar. Like you gotta use what you got, right? So I, I think the Leafs yeah. are gonna miss Zach Bogosian in this series. I mean, they're gonna miss that that's part of why they brought him in and what he's really brought is that you know, if Corey Perry's being a dingus in front of the net, Zach Bogosian would have no problem with dropping the gloves or doing whatever. And the Leafs don't have a lot of, you know, they're going to be putting a rookie in there instead of him. So, and Jack Campbell's not the kind of goalie that's going to fight back. I mean, it's, that's, you know, it makes sense that the game plan would be to try and rattle him. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, boys. Uh, Austin Matthews has had a big year. He can score. Um, Mark Antoine, let, let's look at Montreal's way of defending him. I thought Arpin actually had some good numbers pointing out, you know, when you've got Weber, when you've got Philip Deneau, they they do have like the, the personnel, maybe not to stop him, but to make life harder on him. What do you think of, of what they can do against him? Well, I, I think that the, uh, the Canadians have not had uh, a ton of games where they had all three of Dano, Gallagher, and Tatar, uh, they, well, probably the first half of the season they did. But when those three guys are together, uh, they're extremely effective five on five and they can help shutting down the best of them. Uh, so it's a, it's an extremely effective line and I, and I have no doubt that they're going to be together at the beginning of the playoffs and they're going to be asked to, you know, to, to counter Matthews and Marner as much as possible. The, the series will start in, in Toronto, so they won't have the last change. So you will probably look for a, another line that'll they'll need to to step up and, and help in that department. And I think that's where uh, th- that's where the, the the line of Evans, Lekkonen, and Byron can be can be pretty interesting and, and potentially a game changer. It's a line that was created early on in the year by Claude Julien, was dismantled at some point, and they. All three guys went around trying to shop for a spot and and go through injuries and and, and demotions and whatnot. But now they they're they're reunited. They've been extremely effective against Connor McDavid. Now I understand that the way Connor McDavid attacks is not the way that Austin Matthews attacks. Is I think there's a difference there. It's I, I, what from what I've seen of Austin Matthews and the way he, he's been attacking against Montreal. I think that the He's really, he's really used his his body and his his physical presence to to power his way into the zone. Whereas uh, Connor McDavid would try just to to to, to attack off the rush and, and gain some speed. They've been able to neutralize McDavid's speed, but they haven't been able to neutralize uh, McDavid's stature 
uh, sorry, Matthew's stature and allowing him to get into the zone and make those, those seam passes with, with, uh, with Marner. It's been lethal so far for the Canadians. But having that Dano line coming back healthy is going to be a huge plus for Montreal. And I think that that's where their main hope relies. I'd, I'd like to hear you guys on, on something with Matthews. Um, generally speaking, you know, because it's, I think I agree with everything Marc Antoine said, and he's used his, his physical gifts more effectively against Montreal this season and probably against just in general. The league, yeah. Um, but how is he, you know, how does he react to, 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 to big physical defensemen who are able to stay with him mobility wise? but who can really punish him on a regular basis. Like, how has he generally reacted to those situations? Those are the ones. Those are the ones that make it hard on him. And I think, Arpan, you and you and I were, were slacking at one point early in the year about the job that, that Shea Weber does against him. It, it's never perfect, but if you look at the numbers, they're not as sparkling for Matthews when he plays against, like, guys like that. And there just aren't a lot of Shea Webers, obviously. Like, James, what do you, what do you think about that, that question? Because I think if you're building like a, a prototype of someone who can defend him, they probably look like Shea Weber. Maybe not this exact version of Shea Weber, but Shea Weber. Yeah, I think getting in his face and playing the body is, is probably the right play. And, and forcing Matthews, I think, to look for the pass more than the shot and, and taking away... I mean, he doesn't need a lot of time and space, but I almost wonder if you should... Pretty well. I mean, we haven't seen a lot of this lately, but I wonder if you should pretty well shadow Matthews. I mean, the, the, it hasn't just been Matthews. I mean, the combination of Marner and Matthews together has been unbelievable this year. They've just they've dominated the the defenses in in the North Division. So it's almost if it was just Matthews and they were doing the old Mike Babcock thing where he was on a line with Hyman and Connor Brown or whatever, and he didn't have. But now it's two magicians working together and. They, they've been just such a load for teams to handle. And I think that playing Marner physically feels like almost impossible. He's just someone that's yeah. hard to catch and hard to get the body on. But I think you could probably do it with Matthews. I just, I'm not sure how he would respond. Like, don't you, don't you remember that game they played against Montreal and he was getting into the physicality with Shea Weber and he was giving some of it back and... It was the first game of the season. Yeah. I, I, I don't know... It started like, this huge uh, this huge thing. Do you... do you cross-checking. Do you, do you wake the bear? Like, does, does Matthews get like he get he does get frustrated in those situations? But does that you know is that going to make him push to score a goal or I don't know? I, I think that that's probably the right approach for Matthews. I just there's no guarantee that it's it's going to get him off his game. Yeah, you were mentioning that it d- depends on which version of Weber we see. The idea of right. Shea Weber is I I agree with what you guys are saying, but this season Weber has had a, a difficult year. Uh, his pairing with Ben Sherratt has, has been subpar, uh, nowhere near the level that they were showing in the bubble last summer. And if you look, they've been they've been facing Matthews and Marner a lot over the course of the season, and there there's nobody on the Canadian side more than Weber and Sherratt who gave up more goals to to Matthews when when Matthews was on the ice. Uh, I mean. Uh, it was six goals for the Leafs when when Sherratt, uh was on the ice and five uh, with Weber. Uh, so that so that tops the Canadians. So it tells you that they they've managed to counter that at some point. So it will be interesting to see that, a what's the level of of uh, what's the health level of Weber coming back because he uh, I still he looks like he's he's still banged up. So he can't he's use his left mobile. arm. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, you could see him this week in practice, uh, I mean, shoveling pucks, you know, only with his right hand, not using the left, you know, since, uh, not using his, his left arm. So we'll see in what state he is. And But if he if he manages to be more efficient than he was during the regular season, then it, it gives the Canadians a, a, an edge. But, I mean, if it's more of what we saw over the course of the regular season, there, there's definitely a, a, a wide open opportunity there for Mar- Matthews and Marner. That injury is going to be something that Matthews is going to know all about. And and probably, I, I mean, I could even see him try and play the puck to that side of the ice potentially more often. And I mean, it's something that the Leafs are going to, going to try and test for sure. Well, and James, like this is a different, um, like Arpin was touching on it with the physicality. This is a different Austin Matthews and, and even a different Mitch Marner than like past seasons. Yeah. So like even the numbers from the past don't really 
like they're different. Like Austin Matthews, like physically, he's he uses his body. He's been now. hitting like he's guys. Six, you know, he, he's been hitting guys. Like how big is he, James? Like this, like six, six three, three two, two ten. Yeah, but he's just he's, he's faster. Not small. He's faster this year, and he's. I mean, he says he's even stronger, even with the weight that he lost. So he's he's been a load. I was going to say to you, Jonas, listening to listening to Arpin and Mark Antoine talk. What's the kind of defenseman who does have success against Austin Matthews? I don't know if there is, like, I don't know if I can think of one that's like a prototype well, that, that can do it. If you look at the numbers, and, and Arpin had this in his story, actually, like Chris Tanev's numbers against Matthews this year have been pretty okay. Um, and and you remember, James, there was a game, guys, uh, when they played Calgary, and um, Rasmus Anderson hit Matthews really hard and actually hurt him. Mm-hmm. And kind of got under his skin a little bit. And I don't know if that's I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know if that's a bad thing. Like, I don't know if it's like the whole poke the bar, bear thing. But I wonder, like, if you're Montreal, if that's kind of the way you go about it. Let's try to frustrate this guy. Like, let's try to rattle him. Let's try to be really physical with him. Maybe that's the only way you can kind of slow him down. And, and, and Matthews has been banged up this year. So, you know, it you know, it's not <laughs> you know, I don't want to say they're gonna try and hurt him, but it certainly has to come into their mind that they want to play physical on him. I'd, I'd be willing to say they're going to try and hurt him. I mean, they're not going to try and injure him, but they're going to try and hurt him. Like it's, it's, they're going to, you know, they're going to make it as difficult as they can on him every time he's on the ice. And, you know, it's funny, you know, the extent to which the Canadians have completely changed their identity in, in the span of two, three years, like in the sense that they are now this somewhat slow, but big physical team, whereas they used to be this small, quick team. You know, they don't, they're not as quick as they used to be. I don't think speed defines this team anymore. What really defines them is the type of hockey that we're going to see in the playoffs. At least that's what they're banking on. Um, so big, I think mean that, and ugly. That's big, how big, mean uh, and Brian, ugly. Absolutely. Yeah. That's how Brian Burke uh, used to describe the decor early on in the season. That's well, yeah. but so it's different, actually, guys. About Toronto is is they can kind of play that style in a way that they couldn't in the past. Like they're they're not they have this this uh, like people think of them as it's like really small and speedy and skilled team. They're not really that anymore. Like they're skilled, obviously, with some of their high end guys. But you look at their bottom of their lineup, and they're kind of like more meatier, and they can play heavy. I just wonder, like I was wondering as you guys were talking, let's say you're able to, if you're Montreal, you're able to shut down Matthews or slow him down, whatever. What's the next layer for Montreal that, like, can they win the next matchup? Like, Arpin, is there is there a matchup that they can win after that? Like, obviously, the Tavares line is something that they're going to have to look at, but is there, what's the next layer? I mean, this is, this is... This is the Montreal versus Toronto dynamic for a long time. Montreal has to win the bottom six matchup. They have to, they have to come out even in the top six, more or less, and hope they win the bottom six matchup. And and that's their challenge. And you're right. Top six in Toronto is skilled and speedy and 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 the way they were in the past. And the bottom six is old and slower and bigger. I mean, it's that's that's reality. Um, and I think the Canadians can win that matchup. The question is whether they can neutralize or come out more or less even in the top six matchup, which they're probably going to have a hard time doing, frankly. It's going to be tough. I mean, it's probably going to be if I had to guess, for sure it's going to be Nick Suzuki and Tyler Toffoli and then it's going to be one of Yoel Armia or Josh Anderson on the right side. I would guess it's going to be Armia so that they can leave Anderson on a third on a third line to try and win that bottom six matchup, like I mentioned, and Armia is pretty solid defensively. Um, so that's going to be a tough task. You know, Phil Deneau's line is, is used to that and they pretty much do that against most of the top lines in the league that they, they usually win the possession battle somehow. And then, and goals usually come out more or less even. So that Suzuki line, it's going to be, that's going to be tough against it. And I think Tavares has kind of been ramping it up of late, if I, if I'm not mistaken. And so that's mm-hmm. going to be a difficult matchup, but if they can get through that and come out essentially even, then I give them a good chance of winning the bottom six matchup, even though Toronto's bottom six is much improved in my opinion. And, and you know, there's and there's a lot of the same elements. I loved the last Toronto game at one point. You know, you had Eric Stahl, Corey Perry, Michael Froelich, Jason Spezza, Joe Thornton, and Wayne Simmons all on the ice huh. at the same time. <laughs> I was like, look at this. It's the it's golden like age. It's the golden age game. club. Yeah, that's it. 
So there's a lot of the same elements in in that bottom six, but you know, there are some wild cards in there. Like if Josh Anderson's in there, yes, Barry Kakanyemi who's had a, like a you know just a terrible second half of the season, but is still like a highly skilled young player. Um, and as Marco Twan mentioned earlier, that Evans line that's going really well right now. I think I think Montreal has some elements to win that bottom six matchup, but that's how they have to. I think that's their only chance of winning the series. Frankly, is is that formula? Well, I think what the Leafs are going to try and do is create a checking line on their third line and play that line against skilled players, and then you're going to see Tavares and, and Nylander and whoever's on their wing, maybe maybe Foligno. They're going to get minutes against the fourth line. Like they're going to try and that's what they've been doing this year is they've been giving Nylander and Tavares to the weakest, the third D pair in the fourth line, and, and they've been beating up on them lately. So. That's that's the challenge with the matchup that, that Le- the Leafs are going to try and create. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and I wonder if if the Leafs won't try to capitalize on on Kak and Yemi's line even more than yeah. than what what should be considered the fourth line, the the uh, Byron Evans Lekkinen line, because there's that level of effect- effectiveness and uh, defensive awareness from the, that Evans line that maybe you know might negate what 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 the Tavares line can accomplish whereas if if KK is not on his game and he's got he's got Corey Perry at five on five you know obviously he's not the he's not the fastest guy out there uh a lot of the speed and the the, the dynamic aspect of their offense might be influenced by the guy that will be that will complement their the their line so uh if I'm the Leafs that's that's the first First point of attack for me, you know, try to try yeah, to hunt those guys on that line. Hunt yeah. those guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I really want to get into special teams because I think for both of these teams, this is a big talking point right now. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Maple Leafs power play. What's going on Not there? Good. Speaking, well, speaking of anxiety, how's that, how's that going? I mean... Uh, we're not expecting a whole lot from it in this series, to be honest. Like it just, it, it's, it's, it's been insane. A, it's been a mess. <laughs> How it's, can you not expect anything from but, it? I mean, they've been winning lots. Of, I mean, look at their record with when the power play has been bad. They, they like, I think they can win the series without it. So like, I don't know. I mean, what do you, what, that's, up, what would you that's s- the world upside down though, because I mean, <laughs> it's a team that, that should rely on its power play and no, you know, they've been great. Even strength. They, than, they've been fantastic. I, I, I know, but that's, that's life upside down. M- Matthews is like, <laughs> Matthews and Marner dominate at five on five. Hyman dominates at five on five. I was looking at this the other day. The last two years, the Leafs have five players in the top 50 in five on five goals. Mm. They have they have Hyman, Tavares, Nylander, Marner, and Matthews. They, they're, a, they're a, a real load at even strength. Power play, they came out the first month of the season. They were unbelievably good. And then it's been dog crap since then why it's, is that can you please try to explain, explain why that it. is please i'm Here's dying to hear this it's in their head it's in their head that's what happened is they started to struggle then they kept struggling and they what happened is it got really interesting actually with the coaching staff the coaching staff tried all kinds of things they switched personnel like every game it seemed like they were doing something different like they were taking this guy off the first unit taking that guy off trying this trying to balanced units trying a star unit and it it just nothing worked and and you could see it getting into their heads and now it's at the point where <laughs> there's no confidence on the power play at all like you you watch them it they it doesn't look like they think they're going to score and and so it's become a weakness and and why I'm not willing to brush it off is we saw with Columbus like if you can if you can do what we've talked about muck it up and just kind of make things even at five on five as much as you can you can win the series because like the Leafs power play was not good in the playoffs last year. It was not good in the second half last year. It can hurt them. Like it can be a thing. Like the Leafs scored five or three, five on five goals against Columbus last year in five games. There's, there's a roadmap to, to making it hurt them. The Canadians, the Canadians are a good five on five team. I mean, no matter what the record says, I mean, that's, this has been kind of firmly established for this group. This is, 
they make their money at five on five. They want to stay away from special teams too, as much as possible. The power play has been sporadic at best. Penalty kill, same deal. I mean, I think of late, Mark Atuan, I don't know if you'd agree, but the penalty kill is coming around more or yeah, less. Yeah, for sure. The, the, yeah. I mean, they, they gave up two goals, uh, you know, on Wednesday against Edmonton. But before that, they had not allowed a, allowed a goal on the PK in the previous seven games. So they were, they, they've been, they've been coming around for sure. Um, as for the, the, the five on five identity of the Canadians, I'm not sure if, it, if we're still, that, that's a byproduct of the Claude Julien era. I'm not sure to what extent it's still true. For that to be a reality, you need you need a healthy and effective Dano going forward. Uh, Gallagher mainly, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean the Dano line, not not just Dano, but I mean the Dano line. So because uh, because Suzuki has not necessarily been a beast five on five since he entered the league. You know, he's been he's been probably their best uh, their best guy on the power play, and uh, he helped really revive it uh, in in the latter part of the season, but. It's five on five. He, he he has not necessarily been dominant. So I think a, a lot weighs on on, on Tatar, Dano, and, and Gallagher to really uh, set the tone for that team. The only thing I would say is that the Leafs power play, I think, just because of the players they have on it, there's going to be some individual efforts and there's probably going to be some opportunities. And like they could just, they could get rolling at some point. Like I, I don't know that I'd write it off completely, but... I mean that's yeah that's what I'm thinking. Like like Matthews and Marner could just do something amazing off a of face off face off and like you know there's a goal right there and maybe the confidence comes and but it, it has been bad. It has been very very hard to watch the last couple of months. Like I mean there was a long stretch where they had been outscored when they were on the power play because they were allowing so many shorthanded goals. I mean that's another thing. Like if the Montreal has any kind of a counter attack on the penalty kill, the Leafs have been vulnerable to that. They've been giving, especially oh, they do. when Morgan Riley is the only defenseman out there, the Leafs have been giving up a lot of opportunities when, when they're on the power play. Yeah, the Canadians definitely do. You know, Paul Byron, Suzuki gets time on the penalty kill. Armia, Lekkanen, Evan, they have some guys who can who can hurt you on the penalty kill. But my thing, you know, the reason why I want to focus on the Maple Leafs power play is – you know, if the Canadians decide that they're going to come out and we're going to push the limits, we're going to we're going to play as physical as is allowed within the rules, but they have to establish where that line is. And if they if they miss it and they start taking a bunch of penalties, thinking that well, the power the least power play is a mess. Well, let's take our chances, kind of thing. Um, that can really sting them, you know, because this power play could just come to life all of a sudden and just and just kill them. Right off the bat. The other crazy thing that Leafs fans are screaming at their device that they're listening on right now is like the Leafs don't draw penalties. Like they don't. They're right at the bottom of the league. It, like they just and that that was that's been a problem against the Bruins in both of those series that Boston played that way and brought that physicality, and the Leafs didn't get a lot of power plays as a result. So you know Montreal should definitely look for that line because as we all know, the that line moves in the playoffs and. I, I think that that works in their favor, that the fact that the, the league's not going to call the rule book. And I think that, you know, there's going to be some games where it gets really nasty. And even if Montreal gets down in a game, they should still try and make whatever statement they want to make because, I don't know, I we just, Jonas and I, we don't, we don't know what the Leafs are going to do if it gets really ugly in some of these games. I, I just think it goes back to, James, what you said off the top is the seeded out thing. I think if you can... And the power play, I think, is part of that. Like, if you can kind of rattle them on an early power play, get a penalty, get a short I mean, goal. You know, yeah. yeah. Like, I, I just look like the most five on or four on five goals in the league, Montreal. Uh, like, if you can do something just to kind of make them start to doubt themselves, I don't know. Like, I, I think you kind of open up the series. And like Arpin and I were talking about, like the practice schedule before we got on here. Game one, like the team that loses game one, especially if it's Toronto. That's going to be like an antsy, angsty kind of feel. So it can start with with the way their power play has functioned and just kind of make them doubt themselves. But James, you were you were talking about the the ability to or inability to, to draw penalties. The Canadians have had the same problem. I mean, for for the vast majority of the season, the you know the the teams would, the, the other team would end up with more power plays than the Canadians. So. There are a couple of guys that are good at drawing penalties, Gallagher and Evans, uh, first and foremost. But generally speaking, the Canadians also have that same issue of not being able to to draw power plays. And it's it can be a problem. So I, I really agree with Arpin saying that if they don't find the right the right line, 
even if the line moves in the playoffs, if if they're decor, if they're big guys, if Sherratt, Edmondson, Weber, mainly those three guys who will be out there trying to punish the Leafs, if, if they step over the line, then they're in big trouble. Yeah, I think the one thing, you know, speaking of the game one and, and you know, get in their heads and whatever, I find it interesting how, what, how Dubas went about, you know, adding all these veteran pieces, you know, adding Thornton, adding Simmons, going after Foligno aggressively at the trade deadline. You know, don't you feel that was that was done to serve as a stabilizer in situations like you were describing? Yeah, yes. You know, like, I mean, you know, if they lose game one so that the whole team doesn't just melt down. And it has served as a stabilizer this season. We've seen it. I mean, the Leafs have, they've held on to leads really well that... Joe Thornton, I mean, you can just see TJ Brody. You can see the calming influence that these guys have on the team. And, you know, everyone's talked about the Leafs for years as being one of the youngest teams in the league. They're one of the oldest teams in the league right now. That That's how yeah. – and it's not just Joe Thornton. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of guys. The DNA of this team is really kind of that young core grafted onto all these guys with experience. And for the regular season, it's worked. It's worked. And you can see – the voice. I mean, I wish we were in the dressing room more because we would have a better handle on this. But the the, the messaging that, that people like Joe Thornton and, and even Foligno, who just got there, and what they brought into the and, – and Jake Muzzin, who's seen this before, and Brody, and there's a lots of guys. They've just brought such a calming presence in that dressing room. It's It, it feels like a different team almost. I, I have a question, though. You talk about that that experience uh you know with bogosian being out if i'm not mistaken jake muzzin is the only stanley cup winner on that team do you put do you put any way into this because i know that i know mark benjamin sure does because he went after <laughs> every stanley cup winner he could find got six of them <laughs> yeah exactly so it's uh and he added plus he added eric stall at the deadline uh we'll i don't see. know how much i buy that yeah. stuff like yeah, i remember no, back in the day I remember back. How many cup winners did Tampa have last year? Do we know off the top of our head? Not like like, but like none because most of that none. team was their Tampa. Pa- I, I just Patty remember Maroon. Patty Maroon was the only one, right? Right. So like, I remember the management in Toronto uh, at one point. They kept bringing in these former Stanley Cup winners like Dave Bolin and Christopher Stig, and uh, and they were like, "These guys are really going to help. They've won cups." It it like it doesn't it doesn't it, maybe it it matters like that tiniest bit. But it doesn't matter that much. Like until you win, you haven't won, and and like it's up to the Leafs to prove that they can actually win a series. And like to me, that's that's what this is all about. Like they haven't won since two thousand four. Until they do it, they haven't done it. And that's maybe Montreal's advantage is just that. And the the other thing I would say too is that there's a huge motivating factor in that whole lineup for the guys that haven't won that have been. I mean, Jason Spezza is beloved on this team. On, on the Leafs, like the, the, everyone loves that guy. Everyone would love to see to win for him. Last year in the playoffs, they were down. What were they? Were they down one nothing, two nothing? Jonas in the against Columbus in the deciding game. Jason Spezza drops the gloves and starts a fight and kind of really rallied his team back into the game. I think that's more of what the factor that those guys are going to bring. I mean, these guys are going to want to win for Thornton and win for Spezza and. You know, it might be their last year. I don't think it is, but it might be. I, I don't think they're going to lay down and die. I mean, I think that I think that the, it's a positive more than a negative having those guys around. Let's let's also just remember that you know Eric Stahl was twenty when he won the Stanley Cup. Like Corey Perry was twenty two. Tyler Toffoli yep. was in his early twenties. You know, I mean, a lot of these guys like Edmondson won it recently. Uh, you know, Frolik was the the Blackhawks in twenty. 14 or 12 I and mean, you know he was one of the original Blackhawks Stanley Cup winners so it's not like just because you won the Stanley Cup once <laughs> doesn't mean like you have this like lifelong passport that gives you you know free access you're just gonna to win Stanley every Cup. series that's it exactly like Eric Stahl has not done it since he was 20 years old and and frankly has been flat out bad in the playoffs in, ma- in many of those years since then so it's I think it's it's a totally overblown thing, and it's, it's yes, it's good to have experienced it. But if you experience it as a as a rookie or a, a young player in the league, it's not the same as going through it as a veteran leader. You know, it's it's a different role, it's a different mindset. You have a different skill set. You're not as good as you were when as as when you played back then. And so, you know, I'm it, all for veteran leadership. I think it's it is something that gets underplayed um, in the sense that you can't. It's not tangible. You can't. You can't touch it. You can't hold it. You can't read it on a 
on a, on his computer screen or whatever. It, but it's a thing, and it and it helps. But yeah, having Stanley Cup winners, and it's Mark Bergevin has been like, oh, it's no coincidence we got these Stanley Cup winners. It's like, well, you know, big deal, man. Honestly, like it's it's been so long since a lot of those guys won a Stanley Cup. I can't see it having such a massive influence on their ability to win one now. In, in terms of like actual playoff experience, the Leafs have tons now. I mean, I, I remember looking two, three years ago at comparing the number of games played in the playoffs to the Leafs and some of the teams they were playing, Washington, Boston, and it was ridiculous how lopsided it was. I haven't added it up for this year, but the Leafs, I mean, they have tons and tons and tons of playoff experience now in that lineup. Yeah. So does Montreal, right? <laughs> but that yeah. expert, you could argue also on the flip side of it, you could argue that, that veteran guys like Thornton, Spezza, or, or Simmons, they want it so bad. They do. You know, it's probably even more of an incentive because they're advancing their in their career. And at this late stage, they, they, they're still looking for that elusive cup and, and they're and and that energy, that that will to go after that cup might be of greater benefit for the Leafs than guys who have won it before. We've seen a switch. We've that. seen a switch flipped with Thornton here the last whatever it was, three weeks or something, where he's been a different player and he's been getting in guys' kitchen and he's I mean, what is he? Doesn't he have like eight points in the last nine games or something, Jonas? Like it, Thornton, he's going to be on that fourth line with Spezza and Simmons, and Thornton's been very effective lately. So you know, if that that gives me some level of confidence in the Leafs' bottom six that they might get more out of it than they last year against Columbus, they had they got nothing. So I think potentially there's there's more for them to give there. And yeah, Thornton's 41 years old and he's slow, but he's still very very smart and he still makes you know he's made a lot of plays this year where you're like, huh. You know, there's there's still some magic there. I was going to ask you guys. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. I thought we could all name. I, I like doing this, like an X factor for the series. A player you think is going to be is is going to sneak up or or make a real difference in the series. Marc Antoine, let's let's start with you. Maybe from a Montreal perspective. Well, I don't know if he's going to make a real difference, but to me, the the X factor, the Joker, is definitely Cole Caulfield. I don't ex- mm-hmm. I don't expect him to be in the lineup to start the series. But if if the Canadians are behind or are in desperate need of goals, he's a great option to have because he's the sort of guy that could, you know, that could light up a switch and and turn things around either by a, a, a timely power play goal or or just you know you you can tell that this kid has got a knack for. You know, for the big stage and 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 for the for for the key goals, so y- you can you can tell by listening to Dominique Ducharme that they have serious reservations about putting him out there to start with, and it could be they it could be considered a disservice to have him uh, start the series, and that you know because th- they don't they don't want to they don't want to burn themselves into uh, you know b- putting him in in a tough spot in a situation that they might regret. That being said, I think that he's, he he personifies exactly the type of X factor, the guy that could, could come in and whoop, you know, just change change things uh, along the way. So he would be my guy. How about you, Arpin? Oh, for me, it's it's Josh Anderson for sure. I mean, the guy has mm. the guy has not had a point. I think it's I think he's he's in the midst of his longest point drought of the year. Really, it's 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 he has not produced at all. Which would lead you to believe, oh, well, this guy. But, I mean, I go back to this all the time, but I only do it because it's so (laughs) remarkable. Like, it's, I say it all the time, but it's still – and I was talking to Anderson's dad, and he said that this quote is the proudest thing he's ever heard about his son is when, you know, the Blue Jackets sweep the lightning. Anderson has a goal and an assist in game one. Then he doesn't doesn't score, doesn't get an assist the rest of the series. And at the end of the series, Steve Eisman says, we didn't have an answer for Josh Anderson. And you're like, well, what the – how does that make any sense? He got – he scored in game one and that was it. But he's been good against toll. he's been good against the Leafs too. Like, I mean, he's been very noticeable. Oh yeah. The one thing I've noticed against the Leafs, and this is why I get on this whole be physical and whatever. Like, I mean, you know, him and Jake Muzzin early in the year, him taking runs at Matthews, there was like the last time the Leafs and the Canadians played, or the last time they played here at least, because I can only notice these things when I watch it live, but like I counted like four or five times where the Leafs got rid of a puck and spun away because Josh Anderson was coming. And, like, they they rushed it off. And Matthews was a couple of times. Riley was a couple of times. Early in the season when Muzzin and him were going at it, Muzzin was doing the same thing. Like, it, it's, it wears on you, man. That guy can wear on you if he's motivated to do so. And just strikes oh, me as be. the type of – And he will be. 
And so yeah. I think he's definitely an X factor. Whether he scores or not, he's going to have an impact on this series one way or the other. James? It's tough. I'm trying to think about who I'm going to pick. I think I'm going to – what about Riley Nash, the Kamloops boy? No, I, I, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I mean, he might be a factor, but uh, you know who I'm, I'm going to pick is someone probably no one's thinking about going into the series, and that's Rasmus Sandin, who's going to come into the lineup because Bogosian's hurt. Sandin has very, very quietly been very effective at, at creating offense and been pretty solid defensively too. I don't know what they're going to get from him in this series. I mean, he's a young guy. He has barely played this year. He's got a lot of skill. You know, I think that potentially that third pair with with Sandine and Dermott could be one that opens up some offense for the Leafs. Um, the, the the blue line was a real problem for the Leafs in the, in, in the postseason last year. They're a lot deeper this year, a lot stronger, and I think that that could potentially be a big win for Toronto is that they're going to be able to create some offense from their defense in a way they weren't last year. Yeah, and he has a confidence about him that like you don't think he'd be rattled by playing in the playoffs. Almost like Caulfield a little bit. Like you kind of think like if they give him that chance, he might do something with it. Why? Just before I give my guy, why wouldn't they play Caulfield? Like, are they scared to how he's going to react to being in an NHL postseason for the first time? Like, what would be the the rationale? They would have to take a veteran out. Like, there's one when like when healthy, they would either have to take out a Paul Byron or an Eric Stahl. Or uh, Corey Perry or an Arturi Lekkinen, like guys that they acquired to play at this time. Even as it is, even without Caulfield playing, they're going to have to make a decision. Like it's possible Stahl won't get in. It's possible Kakinemi won't get in. They they still even without Caulfield in the mix, mm. they have too many guys. So when you add Caulfield to that mix, you're basically taking two guys out that you don't feel comfortable taking out, and you're doing it. Listen. You know, every time they've played on the road, Caulfield has basically been – he was usually getting paired with, with Philip Dano to protect him because he couldn't control the matchup. Ducharme didn't feel comfortable throwing him out there and having an Austin Matthews jump over the boards or even a Brady Kachuk jump over the boards in Ottawa. He didn't want that. So I think the, the real telling answer on Wednesday night was when someone asked him if, if Caulfield could play a top six or top nine role and Ducharme was kind of sick of the questions about Caulfield by that point and said, you know, top six, top nine, top 12. I don't know. All I know is I'm going to need all 12 of my forwards. So, which basically means I can't have a forward that I don't fully trust to throw out there. And I think Caulfield falls into that category right now. I was just going to say, it's interesting you talk about, you know, kind of all the veterans that they don't want to sit. The Leafs have the same situation. I mean, they're, they're not going to want to sit Spetsa. They're not going to want to sit Thornton. They're not going to want to sit Wayne Simmons, who they explicitly brought in for a series like this. So they're, they're kind of handcuffed a little bit with their lineup in that injecting some skill in there, like a Nick Robertson or, you know, I mean, Galchenyuk's played pretty well and he might not be in the lineup to start the playoffs. Um, they might they might go with kind of the veteran and the more playoff-tested player over someone who might be able to score a goal more like, or be more likely to score a goal. It just feels like in a series like this, Mark Antoine, like you would want – it feels like that's going to happen. Like mid mid series, if they're down, they're going to put them in. Like in a series like this, when you might need a goal, it kind of feels like I don't know. Yeah, get a goal. Yeah, he he, he can be a, a pivotal guy. Uh, so it's just that t- since day one, since even before they, they they brought him up, it's like the the team was struggling, and I've always felt as though they wanted to find a way to figure things out with their core players without having to resort to him. Say well, if we want to have any success, we need our, our 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 key guys to be effective and productive. We should not have to rely uh, on a rookie who's got you know now twelve games of pro experience. Uh, so that's why I mean, Arpin was mentioning Eric Stahl. I, I I already put him out of the equation. You have to 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 scratch another guys to 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 have Cole Caulfield in. So mm. and and now you've got Byron and Lekkonen who have built up some momentum and are proving to be a, a very interesting tool for, for, for the coach. Uh, is it going to be Yoel Armia, uh, who's, who's got a you know great size. He's, he seems like a sort of guy who's really built for a you know, type of playoffs where you have left space because he's so good at manipulating the, you know, handling the puck in tight areas and stuff like that. Uh, so it's really all also about who you're going to scratch, but, He, he, he's uh he's an X factor again. So it's it, it's interesting because 
I'd be surprised if the Canadians are behind. I'd be surprised if we if we did not see it because at some point they're going to say, "Well, just fuck it, you know, <laughs> yeah. where let's let, let, let's go, let's go and get him in." You well, know? we saw, and it what it's not a, a perfect comparable, but last year coming out of the the bubble, they put Nick Robertson into their lineup and they scored three five on five goals, like I mentioned. One of them was from Nick Robertson. Like all you need is is for Caulfield to score you a goal that maybe wins you a game and like who knows what happens. And if I'm gonna pick a guy for the Leafs, I'm gonna pick William Nylander. If he if he's on and he's rolling, I I don't know how Montreal will be able to beat them. Like if if you're able because because if you're able to stop or slow down Matthews and then all of a sudden Neander is is playing like he can, which hasn't always been the case in the playoffs. They're 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 just too tough. Like that's that's too much firepower, I think, for Montreal. To go back to my stat about even strength goals the last two years, I believe Neander. I think he's I think he was 18th when I last looked. Like he's one of the top 20 goal scorers, even strength in the whole NHL. Like it, he's. It just doesn't happen at playoff time. Like he just he hasn't been able to kind of find that extra gear at times. He's a guy that I mean we've seen Chara play physically on him and, and neutralize him. So that's going to be the that should be the game plan for him. And that's and that's Gallagher for Montreal. I mean, you talk about even strength goal scorers who and he has he's been out for a while and Canadians record without him over the last X number of years is atrocious. And, you know, I mean he's on next factor because he's a known, but he's he's that guy. Really excellent even strength goal scorer. Had a so so playoffs last year, but he's gonna be a huge boost for the Canadians. It's gonna to be tough. It's gonna to be tough for the Leafs to deal with him because he's annoying. We're we're it's gonna incredibly <laughs> we've got to wrap quickly, but I just want I wanted to ask you guys like and that's a good segue to you know the Leafs are largely healthy. Montreal has been really banged up. How much of a factor is the health and the guys missing going to be in this series? It's gonna. I mean, it's gonna be huge. We, we mentioned Weber. I think that among all their injured players, he's the biggest question mark because you know Carey Price, for all intent and purposes, seems to have recovered from his concussion. Uh, Dano too, so it, they they should be fine. Uh, Brendan Gallagher has been always on the on the short end of of you know of uh, projections when it comes to you know being out and recovering from an injury. He's been he's dealt with broken fingers before, so it's nothing new to him. I expect him to be effective right from game one. Uh, but Weber and also Josh Anderson, because Arpin mentioned him as a potential X factor. Uh, I think that he, he's been dealing, well, uh, we know he's been dealing with a, a lower body injury that's been nagging him the, the, the last game. Uh, so that's why he missed uh, the last regular regular season game. So is he going to be 100% healthy and able to, you know, use his speed as, as much as he needs to? It'll be interesting to see. So for me, on the injury front, Weber and Anderson are the two guys I'm looking at. Well, and guys, we should mention James. Like you, you said, like the Leafs have a clean, mostly bill of health. They're they're facing something similar in that guys are coming back after long absences, having not really played. Hyman, um, like Hyman, you know, Riley Nash hasn't played since like the beginning of April. Anderson, it's kind of the same with Anderson's some of the Montreal out, guys. So, yeah, yeah. So that's 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 interesting. Like what it'll be like for those guys, Montreal, Toronto, having not played, and then just like jumping into. Playoff action. When it's very similar raised. to the bubble last year. I mean, that's really. I, I look at. I look yeah. at Price. I look at Gallagher. You know, Price was great in the bubble after a long layoff. Gallagher, not so much. And he got hurt at one point. He, you know, he hurt his hip at one point, and it kind of affected the way he played. But he wasn't. But it is. It's a similar scenario to the bubble last year, where where these guys come back after a long layoff, and it's going to be interesting to see how how players react. It's not a given for sure, but Price we have a bit of a track record to see how he he reacts to a couple of months off before playing in in the playoffs. All right, well guys, this has been fun. Marc Antoine, James Arpin, this is like it's going to be a fun series. I know it's not going to be exactly what we want with no fans in the building and it's really hard to explain to people who aren't there what it's like to be in the the rink when there's no fans. It it it's not great. No, it's, it's depressing. It's it's, it's, de- it's, yeah. depressing. it's, depre- it's depressing being in that building. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. But there's no atmosphere. It's just the starkness. It's the starkness of the silence. Like once, the, like literally, once the music stops, you just hear the hum of the building. Like and you hear like people scraping the ice and stuff. And like it's all the other, all the other kind of mundane sounds of the building take it's, over. Especially when there's an an injury. When there when a guy is down at the Bell Center, they turn off every every sound. You know all the fake fake crowd sounds and and any music whatsoever just 
turn everything off so that we can listen almost to the the guy gasping on the ice. It's like it's a bit it's, a bit it's quieter than like a minor hockey rink when you played when you were a kid. Like even those have more atmosphere than like it, it, and you're in this huge cavern. It's it's really really yeah. I call it dystopian is what it feels like. It, yeah. You know, it's But I think yes. I think the show on the ice in this series is going to make up for it. Should yes, be, like the intensity and everything is going to add it's going to add something. And it looks fantastic on TV too. Like you don't, you know, that I think this there's this is going to be a fantastic series. So we don't want to take anything away from that it's just we just wish it would be everything it could be yeah all right well let's enjoy everyone stay safe thank you for listening to our playoff preview I, I, hopefully we'll have more of these in the future years montreal toronto maybe it'll become a thing let's do it thanks guys thank you everybody thanks Bye-bye. guys